This morning's reading is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. And you'll find this on page 1177. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in God or not, whatever you believe or disbelieve, you are in a spiritual battle. The Bible tells us that we face not only physical hazards, but spiritual dangers. And on the whole, we're pretty good at protecting ourselves against the physical dangers, aren't we? I mean, we wear helmets, we protective clothing, we insure our homes and our cars, We lock our money away in banks. But when it comes to the spiritual hazards, most of us are woefully, pitifully, badly equipped to face the enemy. But you know, we face a Satan, Satan who seeks to destroy what God is doing. He is the one that wants to rob you by stealth of your joy, your peace, and your hope. But our God loves you, and he offers you all that you need to counter the attacks of the devil and his demons. God has provided spiritual armor, and when you put it on, he will change you from being a victim to being an overcomer in the great spiritual battle that we face every day of our lives. Now, this is the third in a series of sermons on the armor of God, and this morning, I invite you to think with me firstly about what it means to be in a spiritual battle. Secondly, what is meant by putting on the shoes of God, the shoes of peace of the gospel, the shoes of the gospel of peace. And thirdly, what wearing those shoes does both to us and how it influences those around us. But before we get into all that, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, once again we ask that you Open our minds and open our hearts and our spirits 
so that if you want to say anything to us this morning, we will be able to receive it. We ask it in the name of, your, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. The devil appears right at the beginning of the Old and the New Testaments. He runs through the whole theme of the Bible at different times. He's referred to by a number of different names, including Satan, um, the evil one, Beelzebub, the great deceiver, the father of lies, the prince of this world, and of course, the enemy, or just the devil. And we take him seriously because Jesus took him seriously. Right from the beginning, in fact, before his earthly ministry began, Jesus was tempted and tested by Satan. And throughout his, the Gospels, we find Jesus not only seeking and saving the lost, but continually undoing the work that Satan had done in the world to people. He had caused his victims to scream and to, to change their voices and their characters, to behave in chaotic and unpredictable ways, and Jesus delivered them from, from all these things. And we, as we read the Gospels, we discover that the, the devil is not only one, but that he's many. He, he commands hordes of demons that attach themselves to individuals. You may be familiar with the story of the Garadine uh, demoniac in the Gospels that you find in the Gospels of Luke and Mark. Here Jesus encounters a poor man tormented and self-harming and living among the tombs. And as the Lord approaches, the man shouts, What have, have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. Jesus instantly recognizes the marks of the devil and commands the evil spirit to come out of the man. And he asks, What is your name? And the, the narrative tells us that the, 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 the man replies, or the demon speaking, demon speaking through the man reply, we are legion. And the narrative tells us how they begged these, these monsters, these devils, that Jesus should not cast them back into hell, but that he should let them, not, not, uh, he should save them in some way. And as you know what happened, Jesus sent them into a herd of swine, and the pigs promptly um, stampeded off the edge of a cliff into the, and drowned in the sea below. What I find interesting in this narrative is that while many people on earth during his ministry didn't know that Jesus and didn't recognize Jesus as God or as a son of, son of God, um, the demons recognized him instantly. The devil and his demons knew exactly who he was. Jesus, as I said, spent much of his earthly ministry undoing the work of the devil, right up to the final battle of his crucifixion and his death. And the resurrection, of course, as we all know, represents Christ's triumph over death and the devil. But the battle will not finally be over until Jesus comes back. So until he returns, we continue, you and I continue, to experience the attacks, both big and small, of the devil and his cohorts as they fight their skirmishes uh, to undo the work of God in your life and mine. The first, gospel, uh, the first letter of Peter reminds us that we must be alert 
and sober in mind because our enemy, the devil, goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In John's Gospel, Jesus contrasts himself, the good shepherd, with the, with the devil who seeks only to kill the sheep. And he says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have, have it to the full. Now, I wish I could tell you that when you become a Christian, you will never come under the attack of the devil. But that would be a lie. Once you accept Jesus Christ, the very opposite happens. You become a target for the devil. And he will, unlike the playground bully who tormented you for a little while while you were in school, you know, the devil plays for keeps. He wants nothing less than your eternal soul. And he will use distraction and, and stealth to prevent you from reading the word of God, from praying, from joining with other Christians in worship. He hates it when you pray because prayer is the only language that the devil does not understand. If you're at all spiritually inclined, the devil will try to divert you into any man-made religion or self-help cult or any system at all, however absurd, as long as it stops you from worshipping the one true God and becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And when it comes to making life-changing decisions, he will encourage you to, to seek any guidance except that of the Holy Spirit. Yes, my brothers and sisters, in the devil we have an awesome, awesome enemy. But then we have an even more awesome and more formidable God. And there's no doubt that he is more formidable because your Father in heaven who created you, he created you in his own image, and he loves you, and he hasn't left you helpless. He doesn't want you to tremble and hide in the face of Satan's assaults in your life. On the contrary, he wants you to take your stand against the devil's, enemy, against the devil's schemes. The apostle, uh, the apostle James said, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And in order to accomplish this, we, God has provided us not with, with one, but with five fabulous pieces of spiritual armor so that you will not be a victim, but be an overcomer in the spiritual battle. They were revealed to the Apostle Paul while he was in captivity under guard in Rome, and he used a Roman soldier's um, uniform as a sort of analogy for the spiritual armor of God. Previous speakers have uh, sp already spoken about the, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, um, and I won't repeat what they said. And so this week, we come to the shoes of peace. Now, everyone, everyone talks about peace. We want peace in the family, peace in the nation, peace in the world. And most of us think of peace as being the absence of conflict. At the personal level, you and I may think of peace as freedom from worry and anxiety uh, and fear. And, but that peace, that the peace that comes from God is a much greater peace than that which we imagine or that the world can give us. The prophet Isaiah, looking ahead to the coming of the Messiah, 
called him the Prince of Peace. And Jesus, towards nearly nearing the end of his earthly life, was looking at the, earth, at the, at the city of Jerusalem, where he would very soon uh, be arrested and tortured and crucified. And with all that in his mind, he turns to his disciples and he says, Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. I do not give you peace as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And when you and I put on the shoes of the gospel of peace, when our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, we, we can experience a peace that is greater than any peace that the world can give us. That's because it doesn't depend on our external circumstances. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians describes that it as the peace that transcends all understanding, the kind of peace that comes from being in Christ. He, he writes, he says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, sadly, too many of us look elsewhere to find peace. We look to holidays. At this time of the year, we're just bombarded with wonderful advertisements for holidays in the sun, empty beaches, palm trees, wonderful. And we, th we think of that as bringing some sort of peace or we might find peace through listening to music or we might like walking in the country. And some of us might seek peace through alcohol and drugs. But there's, there's a fundamental difference between the peace that comes from the world and the peace that God gives. The peace that comes from God works in the opposite direction. The, the peace of the world works from the outside in. It tries to give you some, something that will make you feel better inside. The peace of God works from the inside out. It, 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 it touches your soul and it works out and affects your body. The world's remedies give you only temporary respite from your troubles. But so, as soon as the experience is over or whatever you've taken has worn off, the fears and the worries and the anxiety return, don't they? The world's peace cannot fix the soul. Only God can do that. When our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, we become gospel bearers. We become, we become peace because our security that is found in Jesus is, is at the center of our lives because he is our Lord and Savior, and he is our shalom. He is our peace. He's the one that brings peace into our lives. The gospel means the good news. We all know that. And it's called the good news because God loves you so much that he sent his only son into the world to die, not only to free you from your sins of the past, but to leave you his Holy Spirit to change your present and to empower you for your future. The job of the Holy Spirit is to pour the life of God into you. I've heard it described as the Spirit releasing the DNA of God into our souls. It's what makes the light of Christ shine through you. It's manifested in the fruit of the Spirit, namely love, joy, peace, 
patience, goodness, faith, kind, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that radiate the life of God in you. When you take hold of the truth of the gospel of peace, that peace will set you free and change you from the inside out. And your soul will be restored and you will recover the joy of living as a true son or daughter of the living God. It will affect all that you do, and the way you think and the way you act and the way you speak. And another thing that happens when... Uh, when you find the peace of God, is that it, it, it enables you to rise above your circumstances. Uh, the well-known American uh, radio evangelist, Chuck Swindoll, uh, says that whenever he asks someone, how are you, and they reply, I'm all right under the circumstances, Chuck says, well, what are you doing under there? <laughs> you see, we all have circumstances. Health circumstances, money circumstances, relationship circumstances, to name just three. When you put on the shoes of the gospel of the peace of Christ, your circumstances may not change, but you will find a peace within. I know, I know a Christian man called Bruce, who was a passenger on an international flight that was hijacked. The ordeal lasted 48 hours about, and Bruce relates in his testimony how in the midst of all the chaos and the shouting and the weeping and the pleading and the cursing that was going on, he experienced an immense inner peace. He says we could have all died at any moment, and at first even I wondered why I wasn't panicking like everybody else. But then I realized that God was giving me a deep reassurance that he loved me and that he was holding my life in his hands, and that whatever happens to this airplane, everything will be all right. I want to end by reflecting with you for a few moments of how wearing the shoes of the gospel of peace not only changes us, but changes the world around us. There's a wonderful verse in Isaiah, you'll find it in Isaiah 52, which reads, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the one who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings good tidings, who proclaims salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. It got me wondering at just how good you and I are at bringing peace in, into every situation in which we find ourselves. You see, we don't only want to know the good news, we want to be good news. When we find, especially when we find ourselves among others, do we change the prevailing atmosphere that we walk into, or do we let the prevailing atmosphere change us? You may have heard me use the, the analogy of thermometers and thermostats. It's an image I like to use. We're all capable of being either a thermometer or a thermostat. The difference between the two, is that the, th the thermostat sets the temperature while the thermometer only reads it. If you're being a thermometer, you will find yourself in a group and you will simply adjust yourself, your behavior, how you speak and everything to the way they're doing it at the moment. 
and you leave the atmosphere totally unchanged. When you're a thermostat, you join a group or you walk into a room and you will have some kind of positive effect on the prevailing atmosphere and it, it will change. If we're wearing the shoes of the gospel of peace, it, ma- we, it manifests itself in the fruit of the Spirit in us. And, it's, and we become an uplifting and an affirming presence wherever we go. One sign that you're a thermostat wearing the shoes of the gospel of peace is that you avoid negative humor. So much of our so-called British sense of humor hangs on putting other people down, kind of making a joke about them. Now, I won't give you any illustrations, but you know what I'm talking about. You can be very funny. You can get lots of laughs. Even your victim, the person who is the butt of your joke, may laugh with you. But chances are that inside they're hurting and something dies. Your negative humor may be amusing, but it's neither kind nor life-affirming. My wife has many wonderful and noble qualities, but she also has her funny little ways. (laughs) I often thank her for having provided me with many hours of free entertainment. (laughs) However, However, it's one thing to laugh with her, and it's something totally different to laugh at her. To my shame, it's taken me years to realize that poking even the gentlest fun at someone in public can undermine their self-esteem. It can undermine your relationship. In the end, I've had to learn the hard way that loving someone is to avoid any form of negative humor. And you may ask why it matters. Why, why does it matter? I mean, it's only a joke, for goodness sake. Well, it matters because others notice how the gospel affects your life, how it affects the way you talk and the way you behave. Everything you do or say as a believer will reflect in the minds of others on your faith, on your church, and on your God. For many that pass through your life, you will be the only gospel that they will ever read. They will forget what you said. They may even forget what you did. But they will never forget how you made them feel. While the devil tries to make life hell on earth, we are called to build the kingdom of God on earth. And we do it by wearing the whole armor of God. We do it by taking every opportunity we have by sharing the gospel, the good news of the gospel of peace with others uh, through our words and through the way we live, by example. And we do it by asking God daily, because we're fallible, and we have to ask God daily to grow in us the fruits of his spirit, the fruit of that is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. The famous song, Make Me a Channel of Your Peace, is based on the, on the prayer of St. Francis, and St. Francis and It's a prayer that reminds me more than anything else that I've read of what it is to be a thermostat for Christ, 
And what happens when we wear the shoes of the gospel of peace? And I can think of no better way of ending the sermon than to read these words with you. You can either join in or read them quietly, but I'd like to read you the words of the prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. And where there's sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may never, not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is by giving that we receive, it is by pardoning that we are pardoning, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.